I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. It might feel like one day the world was zibulous, and then the next day, Zibby Owens arrived as a fully grown media mogul with a magazine, a podcast, a book club, an events business, a book imprint, and now a bookstore that's opening in LA. In this episode, I talked to Zibby Owens about what it took to become this overnight midlife success. The perseverance and the guts to reinvent yourself, her tips on staying positive and just keeping on going when it just doesn't feel like the goals that you've set for yourself are ever going to materialize. Whether you are in a career transition, you're really thinking about giving up, quitting, or reinventing yourself, there is something in this episode for anyone, no matter what part of their career path they're on. So, okay, so let me get this right. So I know you, you had a successful career and you were a smart person and you have four kids and you, I didn't know you had this passion to write books and write a memoir. And where do you think that came from? I've always written. I have just loved to do it ever since I first started. My grandparents published this little miniature book that I wrote when I was nine years old with two of my short stories. I had an essay in Seventeen magazine that I wrote when I was 14 that came out when I was 16. I wrote for all my school papers. I freelanced for lots of magazines. I actually did ghostwrite a book about fashion and fitness. So I have had this lifelong interest in reading and writing, and I've been contributing to different publications for many years now. So It's just something that I've always loved to do, especially because I've always loved to read. And I think anyone who's like a massive reader has some inkling like, well, maybe I could do this or what if I could do this? So I don't know. I've just always, it's just something that I've been drawn to from day one. And I just haven't been able to, I I couldn't give up that goal. Even when I kept getting rejected, even when I, after I started the podcast, I tried to submit a couple of books that got rejected, which I'm really glad they did because in retrospect, they were not good, but I just couldn't give it up. I couldn't give up the goal. I really admire that, that you had something from when you were really little and that you really wanted to do something and that whatever road it took you down, you kept following with that like North Star, I guess. Yes. And you clearly have a tremendous work ethic. So, and, and, and stick-to-itiveness. That I do. I have, I, I really don't mind working hard. I enjoy a challenge. I like learning new things and I like doing a million things. So working on a book, but also doing a podcast and now a publishing company, like I just, my brain works best when I'm doing a lot of things at once and I'm least happy when I'm least engaged. But I think it's incredible that you've also been like incredibly adaptable. And sometimes people have a goal that you set out for in your life and you create this one thing. And then we are, especially people who are like, you know, semi type A, like. <laughs> no semi. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can have a goal and it's hard to some, sometimes shift the focus from the goal or shift how you're the thinking about how you're going to get there. And so you've clearly been able to like 
take this thing that you want to do, but refocus how you're able to achieve it and go with it, like go with the flow. Was it hard to like let go a little or try new things? Or is it, do you look at it more of like an exciting adventure along the way? I mean, it was not a beautiful letting go and just like seeing where it went. I was devastated. Like I was crying so much whenever a book would get rejected. It was, it was really gutting because every proposal, I mean, I've written now so many novels or drafts, memoirs that became novels, novels that went back to being memoirs. I've just tried so many different things. And whenever it didn't work, it was just as upsetting as the last time you know, the, the, the dashed hopes. And I think that's why as a publisher, like I'm so careful with all of our rejection notes, because it's not just like a book for us to write something. About. I'm like, this is someone's last couple years of their life. This is their baby because that's how it was for me. So yes, I always wanted to write a book and I didn't give that up, but I did have long stretches. And that's why I'm so attracted to the second shift and why I've, you know, I think it's just so amazing. I went 11 years where I was mostly just staying at home with my kids. I worked a little bit on different projects and freelance, but mostly I was at home, not ever at home actually, but you know, whatever they call at home mom, which of course uh, you have four children. Know. Let's just, yeah. so I was out. rarely just, you know. <laughs> yeah, you weren't sitting around hanging out. That, 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 yeah. that is in itself a job. Yes, that's true. But, but <laughs> so that kept me like, very busy. Yes. yes. And thank you for saying that. Were there moments when you thought about giving up completely though, or t- completely trying something new? I thought at one point I was already doing the podcast and I was loving it. So that was great. And I was now totally into building that and seeing what came next and trying new things related to that. So I did have something else going on, but there was a time when a a proposal got rejected where I was like, okay, I guess it's just not going to happen for me. You know, and every day I would interview authors who would say, well, I got rejected all these times. And, but then I got this book and I would be sitting there after getting a fresh rejection and be like, okay, well, they were rejected and it worked out. I was rejected, but I might not get this book deal and that's okay. I still love the podcast. I still love to read. I'll always continue to write, but I, you know, maybe it's just not in the cards for me. So I kind of accepted that. And was it every like time that story I, where the, like the next one you got, like once you sort of gave, gave up the, the holding on yeah. to it so tight, then like the next one happened. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. It's like dating, think, right? Yeah. <laughs> or like trying to have a kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you, and you did write the book and you did get a book published. And, but along the way, you know, even more so than at this point, like being a, an author and achieving that goal, that's such a, a piece of what is now this like burgeoning um, media empire that you've built <laughs> and and sort of like you inadvertently or like accidentally, I guess, maybe you can tell me otherwise, became like a publishing mogul <laughs> in the service of reaching a goal that you had, which yes. is to publish your book, is to get your book published. And now you're in this like totally different space and you've created so many other avenues that are not only helping yourself, but helping others as well. And that's incredible. <laughs> a couple of years ago, when I realized it was actually becoming a real company and that we were, you know, that it needed a name, 
I uh, I registered an accidental empire as one of my <laughs> URLs because I was like, I didn't even mean for this to happen. I mean, I don't mean to sound flippant about it. Every decision along the way has been very intentional, but the grand vision was not something I had at the beginning. I just kept taking these little steps forward. And then as I did, I could see the whole thing spreading ahead of me. Like now I already have ideas of like where it can go next. And I just you know, not, and not every avenue has been the right way to go. I mean, I, and I can scale back and push forward in other areas. And I'm always like, I feel like I have a lot of levers, like a puppetry almost, like I'm pulling different strings and some I give more slack and some I pull back. So nothing is fixed. I feel like everything is always in motion and I have to just keep adapting and fine tuning and adding new things and making sure I have the right team and all of that. So it's, it's very dynamic. What were some of the things that haven't worked? I tried to do a podcast called Kids Do Have Time to Read Books, and it was supposed to be just children's books. But then I started interviewing the children's books authors, and I realized I just had the same types of conversations I was already having on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. So I, it actually wasn't for kids. It was still just for the same audience. So why was I doing that? So I had to shut that down. We tried doing a short form podcast with just a piece of writing advice. Actually, Spotify, we had been talking to them and they said, oh, do a short form podcast and we'll put it in like our drive time lineup. And so we took a bunch of advice clips and made a two minute podcast. And that was kind of a waste of time. And other things like that. I mean, I'm still experimenting with the podcast network. We have seven shows on that. And I'm just like keeping an eye on that. Like, do I, you know, what's going to happen there? How is that going to grow or not grow? What are we going to add? Now we're producing our own audiobooks. So I'm just keeping an eye on everything and getting more data. And as data comes in, refining and, and all of that. It's really interesting. So I know you went to Harvard Business School and you come from a family that is very successful in business. And did you like the business side of this? Because, you know, you went down a really creative endeavor as a creative person, but now you're like on the business side. Is there one side you like more? Do you like being able to marry the two? Do you think of yourself as like a business person, I guess? Yeah, I think of myself as a business person. I, <laughs> I am also- I guess I am, accidental yeah, business cool. person. No, no. I mean, to be honest, I always wanted to be a CEO. Like I also always okay. wanted to be a CEO. So- I didn't only have aspirations to write. I always wanted to do a lot of things. I was so, going to ask, what else did you always wanted to do? Because you seem to be doing them all. So <laughs> <laughs> what's next on the list? It's like, I also want to be an animal trainer. I always, I mean, I always wanted to open a bookstore and now I'm opening a bookstore. And uh, yeah, I wanted to be a CEO and I wanted, well, I also for a long time wanted, to, not a long time, for a while I wanted to be a psychologist, which I feel like I'm kind of doing now by like having my interviews with people. Yeah. And a writer. I, it's, it's merging everything, but I also, yeah, entrepreneurial endeavors always intrigued me. And I worked at a bunch of startups along the way. And in fact, that's part of why I went to business school is I had, I always have had a million ideas about things and ideas of companies I wanted to start or inventions or I don't know, just fun things. And I remember talking to my dad, this is like in 2000. And I had had this idea at the time where I had helped a guy friend of mine from college who was working at one of the 
banks. Uh, he didn't have time to set up his apartment. So I was like, oh, I'll set up your apartment because I, I had more time than he did. So I went to Bloomingdale's and like got him all the stuff he needed and like waited for his cable guy and did all this stuff. And I was like, wait, this is like a great business. I should do this and get all these people together and we could collectively all like wait for the cable men and help all the people who are too busy to like get their lives set up because it's so annoying and time consuming. And then I could like meet all these guys who are working at all these jobs and like, you know, <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. But anyway, I mentioned it to my dad and he was just like, um, okay, if you actually want to start a business, you should probably know what you're doing. So <laughs> maybe you should consider going to business school. I love it. I do think though, there's something to be said for, there's that like Steve Jobs thing. You can, you can only connect the dots backwards and, yes. and you see all the things that come together and, you know, the ways in which you like shift and morph in your interests and then, and how they can, if you follow the path long enough and you're, you're willing to let go of some of that control and see it through and wait out the years when you're not getting what you want out of it and not, and feel like you're never going to reach the goal and just kind of keep going, you will get to a place where you can merge all of the things that you yes. were interested in, that you like, that you're good at, that the experience you have, and you're like, wake up one day and you're like, oh, this makes total sense now. And I know how to do this thing. Like, I feel yes. very controlled. So I wonder, do you have any like imposter syndrome like self-confidence issues or do you feel like you've now in the place at this point in your life and at this point in your career where all of that stuff and all of that path make you feel like you really are in control and confident in what you're doing? Well, I feel like I, yes, I have imposter syndrome in that sometimes I'm like, well, can I really call myself this businesswoman and creator if my whole company is not a profitable business right now. Like, does that make it a business or am I essentially running a nonprofit if my company never makes money? And different areas of my business are making money, but I have just launched the publishing business literally two days ago and the bookstore's opening in 10 days. But we've been making investments in the publishing company now for a year and a half. So so I'm like, how can I be a successful business person if is, is success measured in numbers and when are my numbers going to follow my other metrics, so to speak, in, especially in the publishing side. But you're right. And my career, I mean, I'm putting it in quotes because it was so ramp. Like I, <laughs> my resume was so odd, right? I had all these friends and, and I was, I was so not envious, but just like, wow, they are doing it right. They're going from this job and they're working their way up the ladder at this company, or they're totally following this trajectory, especially in business school. It's like, okay, they worked at McKinsey for two years and then they went to HBS and now they're going to, you know, whatever Bain or I don't know. It, it all just like made sense. And now they're a managing partner. And I was like, okay, well, I worked at the small brand development and design firm. I worked in an internet incubator, managing startups and marketing. I helped launch the Vera Wang fragrance at Unilever and consumer products marketing. Then I took a year off and wrote a book. I worked at Weight Watchers. I became a meeting leader, leading meetings all over the city. Like I wrote a book on fashion and fitness. I, I'm a failed novelist. <laughs> like I worked on this gaggle of chicks, daily deal site for moms. I launched a crumb cake business. It's just like all over the place. And yet now, literally everything I've done, I use all of it. Like now, even with the Weight Watchers model, 
because I started these salons in my living room. And now all of a sudden in the back of my head, I'm like, wait, maybe I could scale this. And maybe it could be like the Weight Watchers model, except it's around books instead of around talking about your weight, maybe. And I know there are a million book clubs already, but like, maybe there's just something in there that's scalable. Maybe the bookstore could be like a franchise model, which I learned about at school or with printing. My very first thing on day one at my first job at this very small brand development and design firm in a converted motel in Studio City in California was to get quotes from printers on different brochures and different, like I had to get quotes on the spines and the paperweight and all this stuff. And I was like, this is so random. Like, what am I doing? And they even had me go to like a production seminar type thing where I had to learn all these production things because we did design. And I was like, this isn't even anything I'm interested in. But now I use all that all the time. I became interested in it. And I like design is crucial to everything we do. And so is the printing of everything. So I don't know. It's just, it, it it's amazing right now that it's all falling into place because it seemed highly unlikely that it ever would. And, and it's not even till like today. I'm using everything. I'm using absolutely everything. I think that that's how it works. And I hear a lot, you know, for the women that we work with and they take a step out of the workforce or they feel like they're, you know, in some ways like failing themselves if they didn't continue along with what they're doing and the path that they set them for themselves or they didn't reach the partnership or they're unhappy. That's a really big one that they've like, done the thing, gone to the Harvard Business School, gone to Bain, did that whole path that you were like, that's how you do your career. And that, and then they get to this point and they're miserable. Oh my gosh. You So the first book we have coming out is my What If Year by yes, Alicia. I interviewed Alicia. I love oh my her. God. Yeah. It's the same thing. She was unhappy and tried all these internships for a year. And I think it's so easy for us to feel stuck. It's so easy to feel like when we're not learning or when we're not growing or when we're not like pursuing something with passion, it's so easy for that to get us down, especially after so much sort of training and, and engagement and everything. I, Investment. I think, yeah. And so many ways, like you've invested so much and then there's such a let, I wouldn't say a letdown, but you, you do feel it's like an identity crisis in a lot of ways that people have. And there's a good side to the identity crisis that you must have had along that way when they were in that job and had the security and the very specific outlined life. But now you're at the place where you're feeling settled and confident and know exactly what to do. And they're in the place where they're like, okay, well, what now? Yeah. It's It's like flipping. It's you know, and it's, and you're, I guess it's coming for everybody at some point. It's just when, at what point in time is that happening? And what advice do you have for women who are like, okay, so I want to go off and like find my dream and figure out, you know, my podcast or my new career or how to reinvent myself and look at you as somebody who's able to do it at this point in time with kids and not as much of like a prescribed path forward. Right. Um, You know, it's so funny because I've been accompanying Alicia on tour for my what if year and every day she's been saying, you know, start small. You don't have to, you don't have to jump right in. Like you don't have to take an internship for a year. You can just try something fun on the weekend. And I do believe what she's saying too, is like when you tap into the things you're interested in and stop pretending 
that they're not related to work is when you can do the most interesting things. My mother-in-law or my stepmother-in-law, Miriam, anyway, in this period of reinvention, she's 50. And she was like, well, I don't know what to do. And, I, and I'm like, well, you're so great at like calligraphy and making beautiful gifts and making people feel welcome and all the details and like turn that into something. And she's like, but that's not anything. I'm like, no, that's your superpower. Like that's, you're great at that. So I don't know. I just feel like women in particular are so quick to dismiss things they're good at as being not business worthy or And it's all ripe for the taking. I think it's also a lesson, you and Alicia, in do something that you really like to do and do the calligraphy. And you never know what's going to come out of it. Like, just try the first thing. And, you know, you and I are both know Eve Rodsky really well and friends. And she always says like, okay, so your unicorn space can't be, you know, a job. But at the same time, you never know what it could turn into. So it doesn't have to be like the focus of it is, I have to do this thing and this is going to be this business and I'm now an entrepreneur. It could be, I'm going to try to see what could happen if I like dive more deeply into this interest. Yeah. I didn't try to start a media company. (laughs) That wasn't even on the horizon. I started a podcast. I was like, I'm going to do it in my bedroom and maybe no one even will know if I completely fail. But like, how hard can it be? A million people are doing podcasts. Like I'll download an app and I'll watch a Google video and I'll figure out how to do it. Like that wasn't a massive undertaking. That was low risk, low investment, easy to get into. So I feel like if you take those kinds of steps first, if I had tried to do this from the outset, I I don't know how I could possibly have done it. Start with a small step. What's exciting, there was a time when I was doing my podcast and I was like, keep. I kept getting 83 downloads or something, 86, 83. I was like, okay, well, this might never take off. Maybe it'll just keep being 83 people listening. And then I was like, well, that's 83 people's days who are maybe getting better because of the fact that they're listening to what I'm doing. And you know what? It's making my day better. And it's something I love. So even if I don't get more listeners, I'm going to keep doing it because I love it. So you have to have that. I think you have to have something. And every I hear a lot from people who are like, well, I don't have that thing that you have. Like, I'm not passionate the way you are about books. And I'm like, everyone's passionate about something. Everybody likes something, even if it's like, chocolate ice cream. And I was talking to a friend of my husband's, this guy, Don, and I was like, but Don, like, what do you really like to do? And he's like, and he like laughed. He's like, what I really like is like playing Frisbee on the beach. (laughs) And I was like, great, pursue that. And now recently he's like, guess what? I've applied for a job at a Frisbee company. And I'm I'm like, I'm like, that's amazing. That's amazing. So you just never know. And we live in a world that's very like democratized like that. I think that's the benefit of social media and the platforms and being able to like, you know, you're sitting in your apartment, I'm sitting in mine and we have doing a podcast right now or, you know, TikTok, people who've created entire businesses out of something like a Frisbee, you know, where if you have an idea and you have something that you like doing and you have the wherewithal to try it without too many strings attached to the outcome, you can kind of like go and check it out and see. And I tell people all the time, like, okay, don't quit your day job and do this. Yes, exactly. But like, just do it. At this point in time, like it requires so little in terms of investment and dollars. It just requires time and creativity and interest and yep. passion yep. to do something that you really like. And you don't have to quit your job for a year and take internships. It doesn't have to be, you know, something that's so big. 
And just because now is not the perfect time for you to do this doesn't mean you're not going to do it, right? I couldn't have done a lot of this when I was really in the weeds with my kids at home and so exhausted. I mean, my kids are a little older. My youngest is now eight. So I feel like I have some breathing room, but it's okay. Even if you're like storing this all away and saying, okay, it's okay that now is not the right time, but like a time will come and I want to be ready for that time. I love it. So, okay. So let's talk about the media empire. Cause like the Zibby media empire is is growing exponentially all the time. I think I do feel imposter syndrome when people call it an empire. I was just okay, like, well, okay. I mean, honestly, like think about the people who have done in some ways what you're doing. Like the company that you're in, even if you don't, like doesn't feel real and doesn't feel like it's sinking into your brain. But like we could count the people who have done things like this. There's like Oprah and there's, you know, Reese Witherspoon. And there's people who have created these kinds of media empires in their own right. And you have the bookstore and you have a magazine and you have a podcast and you have an imprint and you have community events and retreats. Like in whatever scale you want to compare it to, it's still the same footprint. It's just maybe a smaller, a baby footprint, but it's a footprint. (laughs) A baby footprint. I love that. Yeah, no, it doesn't have to be, you know, it's not maybe like Oprah-sized footprint, but it's like a Zippy-sized footprint and it's amazing. And, (laughs) you know, feet grow. (laughs) Baby feet grow. So we have only things to look forward to for what (laughs) what you're going to be doing. So talk to me about like the bookstores opening. What was the, the whole process of that? And like, where does it go from there? Oh my gosh. I'm so excited about the bookstore. Um, the bookstore is opening February 18th and 19th. And last weekend, maybe the weekend before I emailed a bunch of authors whose books were selling at the store and said, do any of you want to come for like opening weekend to do some signings? So now I have 50 authors who are coming who are amazing from like Kwame Alexander to Lori Gottlieb, just like amazing people coming for that. And I think that's just setting the store off on the right note because it's all about the authors and bringing the community together. Here, I used to have the salon essentially every couple of weeks in my house. Like every two to three weeks, I'd have another event with a couple authors here and I'd have some food and a little talk that I would moderate and sell the books. And then occasionally I had these big book fairs where I would sell all the books by authors who had been on my podcast and invite them all to come sign. So I kind of experimented with book selling in that way. And also I feel like I'm trying to sell books through every podcast that I do for the authors. It had been a dream of mine to open a bookstore. I didn't think it was going to happen this soon, but I had, even before the pandemic, been looking at spaces. I had thought about partnering with different booksellers from different places in Manhattan and looked at stores here. I had looked in some other places. I had looked into doing a bookmobile. I had looked into doing so many things and I just couldn't find the right thing. In LA, where we have a place in the Pacific Palisades, my husband's a movie producer, so his company's based out there, and my brother's out there with his kids, and I'm divorced and remarried, so when I'm not with my kids, I like to be with my nieces and my nephew and my family out there. So we go out there a lot, and I live there after college and everything, too. The Palisades Village was built, and it's this great little walking area right where we live, and I tried to get a space there because I was like, well, this would be a great place for a bookstore. There's so many people that come, and they park, and they wander, and it would be amazing. So I got a broker for that just to see, you know, like, could I even do this and whatever? And 
he put me on some wait list. I made a whole big presentation. He's like, no way they're looking for luxury brands. There's not a chance. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just wait. He's like, well, you know, I've got some places over on Montana. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm going to wait for the village. (laughs) He's like, the owner over on Montana really wants a bookstore. I was like, okay, that's really nice, but I'm going to wait. And it was only because like, I didn't want to drive 15 more minutes, which is so silly. I love Montana. And that's where the store eventually, you know, that's where we got the store. But this is how it happened. I inadvertently negotiated with the broker because I didn't pretend I didn't want the place in Montana. I really just was happy to wait for what I really wanted. So the owner kept coming down in price and like, all of a sudden it was like, well, would you do it for this? And I was like, yes, I would. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I absolutely would. This is going to be great. Inadvertent empire. (laughs) So I'm really excited. And at times I'm like, I cannot believe this happened when the publishing company, which I've been working on since July of 2021. And now just this week, our first book launch, February 7th. And now the bookstore is opening February 18th. I, like, this is one of those things. Like, had I planned it out, this would have been a terrible idea. But then at the same time, I'm like, well, actually that works out really well because I just had this huge LA Times article about the bookstore opening, like the day after my publishing company book came out. So I don't know. I'm, I'm just going with it. And I'm just so excited. We're doing it a little differently. I've been analyzing independent bookstores as I've I've had four books of my own come out and just, I go to bookstores everywhere I go. I want to see like what the local bookstore is like. And I've always been that way. And I think this whole model of like walking into an indie and being like, Hey, do you have, you know, my, what if you're And they're like, no, but we can order it. And you're like, Ugh, I'm going to just order it on my phone. It's so annoying. They never have anything like that's totally outdated. Indie bookstores have a small space and they cannot possibly have everything, but it is not hard to find books, right? If you want a book, you can press two buttons on your phone and like you can start listening to it before you even get down the end of the block. You can download it and read the ebook. You can even order it. It'll be here the next day, whatever. An indie bookstore cannot possibly compete with that, but why should they try? They should do something else. So I think the indie bookstore's role is for curation. It's for helping people who walk in, who need a good book, but maybe it's not necessarily the number two bestseller, but it's this amazing book that they might not have found otherwise. And that's what really excites me. And that's what excites me on the podcast. And in my book club, it's when people say, Zibby, I never would have read this book if it weren't for you. And this is the most amazing thing. I love that. So I'm hoping the store does that. And I'm hoping it becomes a real community spot. We're going to have events as often as possible at six o'clock. We're going to have mommy and me or family and me, whatever, every day at 11. And I just want it filled with people and great conversation and the place to go if you want to really connect. I love that. Now, did you know a lot about the publishing industry when you decided to like disrupt it in some ways? I knew nothing. I knew nothing about it until... I started the podcast and then I started talking to authors and getting to know them more and hearing even before and after the podcast. I used to do event all of my podcasts in person and I, and I should really go back to that because now I don't have the time to do that. But they would come, we would have coffee, we'd come upstairs to the podcast, like chit chat, whatever. And I would hear a lot about their experience with their book. How's it going? Whatever. Oh, this. And I would hear the the complaints and I would hear the things that were great and I would just learn a lot. And so... I just started picking up on all of it. And I don't know, I just, I started doing events in bookstores with the authors. I started gathering more information and I just kept learning. 
And then as I grew more and more interested, I would subscribe to more industry publications and learn more and teach myself about things and talk to distributors and just find out how to do it all. Learn from people who I've met, which has been great. Is it all women? I know I should probably know this, but I don't. My company, the company? No, the, the, what you publish. It is all women. We're not against publishing a non- woman or any other gender. So far, it's all women. All identities. All identities. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Thank you. Um, But so far, it happens to be just women. Okay. And I assume your bookstore sells all genders and identities as well. Yes. Um, But that's really cool. I mean, I think about like, I feel like your next move, I'm sure you've already thought 17 steps ahead, but I feel like you're going to like, oh, you're LA and the book. I feel like there's going to be like a whole like Zibby studio next. Like you create the like content and the streaming around the people that are creating the Zibby books. That's Mm. what Reese Witherspoon did and it worked real well for her. Zibby studio. I actually I'm not that interested in that element. And my husband has a production company. So he's optioned a few of the books from my podcast. It's like me. Accidental. What do we call, what'd you call it? Inadvertent. Accidental em- empire. Accidental <laughs> empire again. Yeah. But it, all, my- it all just weirdly <laughs> coalesces into this you know, bigger picture. Well, it's amazing. My husband and my brother run production companies. So I don't feel like I need to start a studio. Do you know what I mean? Like they have that covered but I'm excited to partner with lots of places. And you know, I love the matchmaking. Like I really like making those connections. So I'm more excited about getting books to other people who already do production stuff. Like this woman, Sue Shapiro, who was a writing teacher of mine and also an author. Um, I had talked to Alyssa Milano, who was on my podcast and we became sort of friendlier. And she was like, I'm looking to option more IP. Do you have anything good? And so I put out like a call for whatever on, I have a Facebook group with a bunch of the authors who have been on the show. And I was like, does anybody have a book they want optioned? You know, and everyone's like, yes. <laughs> so I like curated this whole list and she ended up optioning one of the books I suggested. And I don't need credit for that. Like I, I don't need to be I'm not involved. I'm not a producer. I don't need that. Like, I'm just so excited that worked out. (laughs) That's awesome. What are the types of books that you're looking for? Like, what books do you accept and go after? For the Zibby books, we look for four things. A strong sense of place, a strong sense of voice, beautiful writing, and propulsive narratives, and fiction and memoir. Contemporary. So not historical fiction. Contemporary fiction and memoir. That's pretty narrow. And if, when you, I'm sure there's lots of people who come to you and, and say like, I have a book. I've always wanted to write a book. Yes. What advice do you give them? Well, if they're pitching me the book, I'm like, this is a bad answer, but I think people should get their work in front of others. I think that writing by yourself, a whole novel and not having anyone else have any feedback and revisions and all of that you can make it better if you show it to other people. So I I really think before you submit it to a publisher, it should absolutely be your best, most polished work. And if that means workshopping it with writing groups, with friends, with a freelance editor, with someone, like just try to get it to be the best it can be. Because the less finished it is, the more of a risk the publisher is taking on you, the more resources they'll have to devote. And maybe they don't have those resources, even though it seems like it might be great. So I would say get feedback, get feedback early. Don't be afraid to share your work. It's essential. 
revise and refine and then try to submit. And what if it's somebody who just has an idea, who just has like, I've always wanted to write or I wish I could write? Go write, just try it. That seems Um, so hard and like just to sit and start small. Start. That's the advice for really everything, but start small, write an essay, write an essay. Also good advice I got along the way is when I would have all these ideas for books, they were like, is that a book or is that an essay? Like, do you really need a whole book for that? And so now sometimes I think of ideas and I'm like, wait, is that a book or is that an essay? So start the essay. If you have so much more to say, and this is for nonfiction, I guess, if you have, and you know, it can't possibly fit in an essay, then think about the book, but then think about the structure. Fiction, fiction is to, I mean, you really just have to write it. You you have to sit down and clear space and see if you like it. It's not easy. I mean, fiction is hard. It's all hard, but see if you like it, if this is really what you want to do. And if it is what you want to do, then you have to clear some time, not every day, but enough that you can get something done and, and make progress on it. Because think about all the people who are out there really dedicating their lives to doing it. It doesn't make them better writers, but they're practicing more and they're devoting more time. And so then they'll, they'll get farther than if you barely do it and hope for great results. Okay. Last question. How do you make work work for you? How do I make work work for me? Uh, I work from home. So my team comes to me. We have lunch together or in my dining room. My kids come home and join us at the table and do their homework. Uh, I bring my kids to all my events. I leave work every day and go pick them up and come back home with them. I make the schedule around my kids' schedules. And that's just what I do. And at first I felt badly about it, but I'm like, you know what? This is an example now I'm setting for all the younger girls on my team. Like, it's okay. I don't miss anything from that hour I go pick up my kids. It's important. So I do all that. I don't know. I probably work way too much. I'm always working. I have to catch up on emails and like everybody else. But yeah, I try to work with people I love. I love my team. I love the the women on my team. Uh, We have so much fun together. I only work with nice people and and we have a lot of fun. We have a lot of laughs. So that's how I make it work. Okay, I lied. Last question. Are you enjoying this moment? I love it. I love it. Yes, I am totally enjoying it. Even when I'm stressed, you know, some of the things are stressful, but in general, I feel like I have so much purpose to my life right now. And that brings me a lot of joy. Purpose, helping others, creating something, building, thinking. It's so engaging and energy invoking that it just like keeps building on itself. So yes, I am totally feel so lucky. I didn't think my life was going to go this way at all. I thought I was sort of stuck in my old life and I am just grateful every day that I get to live this. So grateful. Okay. One more question. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) When you, I just keep, they keep popping in. When you had the initial idea to have the podcast, you know, that in some ways, like, changed that course of your life. Can you remember the inspiration moment of like when you had that idea? Yeah, it wasn't my idea. It was a friend, a new friend who I just met. It was a parent at my kid's school who I met after doing a chaffle, like a chaffle speech that I gave um, afterwards. She was like, I'm an author too. Like we should, I said, I was trying to sell a book and she took me to coffee and I told her about the book idea. Moms don't have time to read books. 
And she was like, no, 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 I don't think that's what you should do. She's like, I'm really good at, her name's Sarah Mlynowski and she's a best-selling middle grade author. And she's like, I'm really good at figuring out what people should do. And I was like, okay, like who are you? I just Me met too. You. That's you what, too? I'm really good at telling people what to do and figuring out what they should do. And sort of like taking all of the data and being like, yep. nah, focus there. Yes. I'm not good at that. She's good at that. You're good at that. I'm and very she, good at that. She was like, let me just think about it for a minute. And then a day or two later, I was leaving my kid's school. She was walking in and she's like, a podcast. And I was like, what? And we just passed along. And she's like, you should start a podcast. And I was like, what's a podcast? <laughs> and that's how it started. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm glad to know that moment. It just takes that like one little thought implanted in your brain. And next thing you know, media mogul. I give Sarah Mlynowski credit for this all the time, by the way. <laughs> okay, Sarah. Everyone needs a Sarah. Sometimes it just takes one little idea. You know, for years, my partner, Gina, was telling me that we should be filming things and that I should be doing, we should have a podcast. And it seemed like, I don't know, I, I sort of assumed that there were like enough podcasts in the world because I'm like an early podcast fan. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's like way too many now. You could never do this or like no one needs this and, and talked myself out of it for, I'm going to go with 10 years. Oh my gosh. And then like literally one day a year ago, I was like, I'm going to make a podcast. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I think this, like you said, like the stakes were so low. Yeah. That it it stopped feeling like this heavy thing to try and like this big deal and just felt like it could be really fun. Now And it is, and it's great. And I'm having such a good time and I get to have conversations like this. And I loved this conversation. Me too. I love, Thank you so much. I love this. I love hearing like how you got started. I think it's really inspirational to a lot of women, your story particularly, just, you know, being this age and having kids and restarting your life and, or not restarting it, like revitalizing it, finding the path you're on finding the thing that brings you passion and growing it, even in this like crazy time with four kids and, you know, life, and all the things and just riding the wave. I give you a lot of credit. I congratulate you on all of your success. And I'm very excited to see what's going forward. And I'm really excited because all of your authors that are, we, we're bringing on to put on this podcast, to do events. So it's a great way to like synergistically help each other and bring these women a bigger platform into our second shift community. Thank you for doing that too. So nice. It's my pleasure. You're the best. (laughs) Thank you so much, Zibby. All right. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women. 